In 2 Samuel 7, God told David that Messiah would come out of his body and that God would establish his throne forever. In Psalm 132, 10 and 11, God confirmed that he would set on David's throne the fruit of his body. So when we say that Jesus is the house of David, we are saying that he is the one who fulfills all the hopes of the Jewish people. This week on Connecting the Gap, we're going to get started into the book of Mark and also cover Luke in our study on prophecies of the Bible, and we'll get started into that right after this. Welcome to Connecting the Gap podcast. I'm Daniel Moore, your host, and we are going to be continuing our study on prophecies of the Bible. It's a study I've been sharing with you from Damon Duck, and we're going to be getting into Mark, Luke, and a little bit beyond this week. We finally finished up Matthew after cruising through that book for several weeks. Hopefully you all got something from that, and we're going to continue on into prophecies here shortly. Go to my website, connectingthegap.net. And you can check out all my podcasts there, all my platforms that I am on. You can subscribe and share and follow us in any of those locations. also have a blog there as well. So please uh, help me get this out there by sharing and and following and and subscribing and all that good stuff. As uh, each week I endeavor to do what God has laid on my heart in sharing Bible study with you here on Connecting the Gap. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started this week, and as I said, we're finally into the book of Mark. It's just a a little short section of Scripture here that I want to cover, then we'll move on into Luke. We're going to be starting in Mark chapter 9, verse 42 to 48. It's a sobering word that Mark gives us here. It says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell and to the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worms does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worms does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye, rather than having two eyes, to be cast into hell fire, where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. After explaining to his disciples the fact that every act of kindness towards his people will be greatly rewarded, Jesus focused on children and taught that anyone causing them to sin will be severely punished. The punishment will be so harsh, those who experience would be better off if they had a large millstone, that's a large round flat stone, it's kind of donut shaped, it was used for grinding corn, wheat, or other grains, tied around their neck, and were cast into the sea where they would surely drown. He then taught that we should be willing to go to extremes to avoid sinning, because it will be a terrible thing to be cast into the eternal fire of hell where the worms never die. Think about who it is that is saying this. It is Jesus, the Son of God, the omniscient one, or the one who knows everything, the one who loves us so much he literally left heaven and willingly died a cruel death. Why do you think he warned us about the horrors of hell? 
Could it be that he knows what hell is like? Is it wise to ignore this? Well, the word hell is a translation of the word Gehenna, a form of the Hebrew word that means Valley of Hinnom. This is a valley southeast of Jerusalem where at one time wicked Jews burned their children as sacrifices to the false gods they were worshiping. When the good king Josiah took the throne, he declared that place unclean and would not let anyone sacrifice their children there anymore. Then the residents of Jerusalem started dumping their garbage there, and the place became infested with worms. Fires burned there day and night. In effect, Jesus is saying, stop sinning because you do not want to spend eternity in a place like that. This is a warning to unbelievers about their judgment before the great white throne of God. All who have not accepted Jesus as their Savior will be cast into the lake of fire. Moving on to the book of Luke now in the New Testament. There is some scripture here that talks about a king forever. It's in Luke chapter 1 verse 32 to 33. It says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. God sent the angel Gabriel to visit Virgin Mary, she had never had sexual relations with a man, to tell her that she had found favor or obtained God's approval, and that she had been chosen to bear a very special child. The angel told her to name the special child Jesus. He said Jesus would be called the Son of the Most High or the Son of the Supreme God. Jesus would be given a throne or become a king and would rule over the house of Jacob or the nation of Israel and he would rule forever. The angel is quite clear. Jesus will have a very special father-son relationship with God. He will sit someday on the throne of Israel, and his rule will never end. Other kings have come and gone, but this king will not. Dozens of verses of Scripture teach that Jesus is a king of kings and lord of lords who will return to sit upon the throne of David and rule over all the earth. Christians often hear these scriptures without realizing the full impact of what they are saying. For example, Isaiah said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's the first coming. And the government will be upon his shoulder. That's the second coming. That's in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. He said the son would sit upon the throne of David. The second example, Micah said, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. That's in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Like Isaiah's prophecy above, this is a double reference prophecy referring to both the first and second coming of Jesus. In Zechariah, he said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. He is just and having salvation. That's Zechariah 9, verse 9. He said, The Lord shall be king over all the earth. That's in Zechariah 14, verse 9. The fourth example, the wise men asked, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? That's in Matthew 2, 2. The fifth and final example, Pilate put a sign on the cross that read, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. That was in Matthew 27, 37. John Walvoord was quoted saying, The throne of David was a political throne. The house of Jacob encompassed the literal descendants of Jacob, and the prediction that Jesus' kingdom would never end was a repetition of the perpetuity of the Davidic kingdom.
In this passage, we note that it was an angel that referred to the coming Jesus as the Son of the Most High. After Jesus was born, he encountered a demon-possessed man in the region of Gerasenes, and the demon whose name was Legion called Jesus Son of the Most High God. Could it be that this is his title in the unseen world of angels and demons? It is almost certain that Mary expected great things of Jesus, but as great as he was, he did not completely fulfill this prophecy at his first coming. The Jews rejected him as their king and managed to have him crucified. Therefore, this must be fulfilled in the future. Almost 2,000 years have passed since the angel Gabriel told Mary that Jesus would rule in Israel. For most of this time, the nation did not exist and no earthly king was needed. But things have changed. Everyone knows the nation has been restored. It only remains for the king to return and take his throne. God's church, those Gentiles who get saved after the rapture, and those Jews who turn to Christ at the end of the tribulation period will enter God's kingdom here on earth. Jesus will literally rule on the earth for 1,000 years. Here is some insight into God's wonderful plan for his people. In Luke 9, verse 48, it says, Those who practice humility and tenderness toward the weak will be great. In Luke chapter 12, verse 31 and 32, it says, Those who seek the kingdom will receive it. In Luke 12, 42 to 44, those who are faithful until the end will be rulers in the kingdom. Luke 18, 17, those wanting to enter the kingdom will have to completely trust God. Luke 18, 29 to 30, those willing to give up everything for God will receive great rewards. And Luke 22, 29 to 30, the original disciples will occupy a special place in the kingdom. In Luke chapter 12, verse 45 to 48, it warns us to live like his return is soon. That scripture says, But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the male and the female servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. This parable deals with the attitudes of two groups of people who know the will of God but do not believe Jesus will return anytime soon, and a third group that does not know the will of God and therefore is not looking for the return of Jesus. The first group is warned about abusing their authority. Those who fail to look for the Lord's return and start abusing their weaker fellow men will be caught by surprise when he returns and suffer the most terrible of fates. The second group is warned about being lazy. Those who know the will of God and ignore the opportunity to serve Him will be subjected to a series of harsh punishments in the life to come. The third group is composed of those who do not know the will of God. If they use the little knowledge they have to do things worthy of punishment, they will be punished and it will be a series of minor punishments in the life to come. William Barclay was quoted saying, Knowledge and privilege always bring responsibility. Sin is doubly sinful to the man who knew better. Failure is doubly blameworthy in the man who had every chance to do well. Here we find there are degrees or grades of punishment in the life to come. Notice that the first group will be cut in pieces and assigned a place with the unbelievers or the lake of fire. 
The second group will be beaten with many blows, and the third group will be beaten with few blows. Some live like they think the second coming will never arrive. Without question, it has taken longer than most people thought, but that does not mean it will never happen. Jesus will come, and skeptics will find themselves standing before the great white throne. The soul and spirit of the believer who dies to go to be with God, but the soul and spirit of the unbeliever are a different matter. He rejected Jesus, so his soul and spirit will immediately enter hell. He will be raised from the dead after the millennium and appear for judgment before the very one he rejected. Here are a few facts about that judgment that they will face. In Luke 8, 16-18, it says, People will be held responsible for hearing and rejecting God's word. Luke 10, 10-16, Cities will be held responsible for hearing and rejecting God's word. And in Luke 12, 2-3, it says, Every secret sin will be exposed. Moving on to Luke 17, verses 22 to 24, it says, Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here, or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his days. This is something Jesus said to his disciples, but the text shows that it not only applied to them, but also to those followers who will be alive at the end of the age. There will be a great distress on earth during the tribulation period, with people longing for the second coming of Jesus to make things better, but he will not return until the time is right. In the meantime, there will be false sightings and the appearance of false Christ, but they will not be credible. When Jesus returns, it won't be to visit different sites on earth. It will be like a flash of lightning streaking across the sky. The return of Jesus will be without warning, and the overwhelming judgments will begin in the blink of an eye. What changes can one make in the blink of an eye? Wouldn't it be wise to make things right with God beforehand and not be caught off guard? There will be no need to go here or there, because the second coming will be as sudden as a bolt of lightning. The first time Jesus came, he spent about 33 years on earth. Even that was not enough time for some to recognize him and repent of their sins. He will return at the end of the tribulation period, and it will be so fast that there will be no need to go looking for him and no time to change anything. Wrapping up this week's segment of our podcast, we're going to read Luke 17, 28 to 30. It says, Likewise as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. When Jesus returns, things on earth will be much like they were in the days of Lot. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah stood on the brink of a fiery destruction from heaven. But the people went about their daily pursuits as though nothing bad would ever happen to them. They partied, bought and sold, built houses right up to the last day of their existence, the day that Lot left Sodom. On that day, fire and brimstone fell from heaven and destroyed them all. The pulpit commentary says the cities are trading and feasting, and lo, the fires of heaven come down and consume them. They who trifle with the most sacred things are sure to find that suddenly in such an hour as they think not, the end arrives. The business plans are broken off. The brilliant career is concluded. The flow of pleasures is arrested. 
death suddenly appears and deals his fatal blow. The soul awakes from its long lethargy to see what its powers have been wasted and that its chance is gone. During this time, many people act like nothing bad will ever happen to them. They refuse to let world events open their eyes. During the tribulation period, there will be some who fancy themselves safe right up to the last day of their existence on earth. But just as surely as fire fell from heaven to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus will return to deal with them. We're going to wrap it up this week with that section on Connecting the Gap podcast as we are working our way through Luke in our study on prophecies of the Bible. Go to my website, connectingthegap.net, to get a link to find out all of the podcasts so that you can listen to those if you've never caught up on those yet. Also, my blog is there, my YouTube link, and my Rumble link is there as well. And I've also got a blog. So please check that out. And there's a contact page. Please drop me a line and let me know how much you've uh, enjoyed Connecting the Gap, maybe what you've learned from it. I'd like to hear from you. And of course, above all else, please keep me in your prayers as I continue to endeavor to move on with my ministry here at Connecting the Gap. Well, I'm going to call it a wrap for this week. Next week, we'll continue on through Luke as we continue deeper into the New Testament in our study on prophecies of the Bible. Until then, don't forget that God's Word never fails us. God's Word has stood the test of time, and through Jesus' death on the cross, He has connected the gap.